Life is filled with transitions, isn't it? Certainly as we think about all that we go through in life, we go through different seasons, different stages of life. As you think about that, how many of you maybe had a child go to school for the first time this week? Anyone have a child go to school for the first time right here? Wasn't easy, was it? Were there a few tears? Yes, I can remember there sure were for me when my daughter was born, when not born, but when she went to school. Then it's high school. How many of you had students go to high school for the first time this week? Yeah, few of you. And then it's college. Anyone have someone go to college for the first time? Yes, or preparing to still. Certainly these transitions are difficult. Transitions like that and graduations, finished with school, and then weddings. I gotta tell you, having gone through that just a couple of years ago, that is a difficult transition for everyone involved. Or a new job. Any of you starting a new job during this season? Any of you? Okay, yes. So those are transitions. And then comes retirement. How many of you have retired during this last year? Anyone in this, in this service? Okay, retirement is another transition. And then the final transition, which is many ways the most glorious of all, death, when we are transitioned to be with the Lord. Today here at ZPC, we call this promotion or kickoff Sunday. There are new classes, it's a new season, there are new opportunities, new uncertainties. Next Sunday, as Scott already mentioned, we're going to have a new transition in styles of music. This service is going to be piano-led. The next service will be band-led or guitar-led. In some circles, what I'm doing is called transitional ministry, walking with and working alongside of a church as they move from one season to the next, as they look for and then welcome a new senior pastor. I want to say, as I've said many times before, that you are a great church, and I want you to believe that and to know that. And not only are you a great church, but you are a church who has a fantastic future in front of you. As I've mentioned to you in the past, when I have gone through seasons of transition, I've often gone to Joshua chapter 1. And somehow Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 seems to be a person that I can really relate to. I can resonate with him because Joshua is in the midst of a really, really difficult transition. Moses, God's wonderful leader, has died. And now Joshua is the person who is going to lead Israel. I mean, Moses is the one who led him out of Egypt and led him into the wilderness and led him during those 40 years. There were many wonderful things that took place. And now it's Joshua's turn to take the baton of leadership and be the leader. Joshua had been an understudy. He'd been a second lieutenant. Joshua had been for 40 years Moses' right-hand man. Oh, he'd been one of those 12 who'd gone in to spy the promised land, to do reconnaissance. And you know the story of how the majority report, which was 10 of those 12, came back and said, it's impossible. We can't 
take the promised land. It's filled with giants. There's no way. But it was Caleb and Joshua who said, yes, we can. With God's help, we can take the promised land. Joshua knows the, the external challenge. He knows that it's going to be difficult. He's been there before. He knows the problems. Joshua also knows the internal challenge of the leadership that he's facing. Why? Because Joshua knows how stubborn those people are. Joshua knows how fearful they are, how anxious they are, how in this stage of their life they are grief-stricken with Moses gone. But now the baton of leadership is squarely in Joshua's hands. At this point, if you look at the first part of this chapter that we're going to be looking at today, Joshua chapter 1, God speaks a special word to Joshua. He says, get ready to move. We're going to go over the Jordan River to a land that I will give you. And then he makes some fantastic promises to him. He says, no one will be able to stand against you. I will give you every place that you put your foot. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. And then he says three times for emphasis, be courageous, be strong. And then he says, you will lead this people. Obey the law, which is going to be a secret for him. Don't turn from it to the right or the left. Speak it. Meditate on it. Do it. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will be successful. The Lord your God will be with you. I've preached and taught this particular passage dozens of times, and it's one of my favorite in the Old Testament. And yet I must say to you that I've never taken the last verses of this chapter. Last Sunday morning, as I was doing devotions before I came to worship here, this passage spoke to me, and I really threw out everything I was going to do for this week and felt like this passage was right for us today. If you would, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, verses 10 through 18, and let's see how Joshua and the people respond to what God has told Joshua in the first chapter, in the first part of the chapter. Please follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. Listen now for the word of the Lord. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. We'll talk a little bit later about what that's all about here. Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you and until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. 
Then they answered Joshua, and listen to this, this is wonderful. Whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. And now a blessing. Only may the Lord your God be with, our, your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not command your words, whatever you may command them, we will put to death. Only be strong and courageous. May God add his blessing, understanding, and also his application upon this the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Please join me in prayer. God, you are an awesome God. And today as we spend these moments with you, on this Sunday that speaks of transition, promotion, we come to you needing a word from you. If we leave here today and don't get a word from you, we're going to go away disappointed. Speak to us in ways that maybe we weren't prepared to hear. Open our hearts and minds. May we hear your voice today. Speak to the people and the preacher alike. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. The first thing that we find in this beginning of this second chapter, the last part of this chapter, is that Joshua is obedient immediately. He doesn't study. He doesn't strategize. He doesn't take a poll to see which way the wind's blowing politically. No, Joshua immediately orders the officers to get ready. In three days, they're going to cross over into the Jordan, cross over the Jordan and take possession of the land. That, Josh, that the Lord has given them. Joshua proves himself to be a decisive and capable leader immediately. Why? Because he's taking God at his word, and he's ready to act. Israel has studied this conquest for 40 years. It's about time they move into the promised land. He goes a step further, though. He takes the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And he says to them that they, even though they're already settled where Moses has settled them, on the east side of the Jordan, on the other side of the promised land, he said, I want you to go and be a part of the battle too. Oh, I know, it's, your land is already yours. You're already putting roots down, but you are to go with them. You to leave your wives, children, livestock, this new homeland of yours, and you're to go over the Jordan, you're to fight battles, and after the battles are finished, then you can come back and settle in with your families. This is really a big deal. I mean, Israel is a very divided country in many ways in the past. They're always looking out individuals for their own good. Have you ever stopped to say, that's not my battle to fight? Maybe some of them might have thought that. Or I'm not leaving my family to fight someone else's battles. But no. They go in a wonderful way. This is a momentous time which signals a huge question mark. How will the people respond to Joshua's leadership? Joshua has been strengthened and encouraged by the Lord. He has obediently taken on the mantle of leadership and heralded the call to move now into the future which God has for them. Now, how will the people respond? It's the moment of truth. 
for this untested leader who is depending wholly on God. Will they want to do more reconnaissance? Will they say, no, Joshua, not right now? Will they want to study it more to see if this is the time to take action? Will they see and hear God through Joshua and be receptive? You know, when a leader takes leadership, sometimes the people dig in their heels and say, no, we're not going. Other times they say, yes, but there's a kind of apathy. And other times they hear the leader and they move with the leader. It's a kind of kairos moment. It's a time of fulfillment. It's a kingdom standard time when they go in such a way. When we read verses 16 through 18, we find the people's heartwarming response to Joshua's call to action. Notice what they say. We're in. Whatever you've commanded, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. We are in totally. Wow, what a statement. It must have taken Joshua's breath away. Praise God. He prepared them just as he had prepared Joshua himself. Then they go a step further and say to Joshua, just as we were with Moses, we're going to be with you. And then only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. I can imagine tears swelling up in Joshua's eyes at this point as he hears these words. He remembers the times that they've had with Moses, the wonderful things that have taken place. And now they're saying they're going to go with him just the same way as they had gone with Moses. Then came their blessing that must have made his heart leap within his chest. He began to have a vision of what God could do and how God would use him as a leader like he'd used Moses. Then they talk about supporting his leadership, supporting it completely and not allowing his leadership to be undermined in any way. And then as the chapter closes, the people repeat the words which God had spoken to Joshua three times, only be strong and courageous. Wow, God has done a great thing in this diverse body of people. They were now mobilized to move into their future. When we look closely, see if you see this, we find two important characteristics of a people who are willing to move into the future. Two important characteristics of a people who are willing to move into the future. Mobilize for action, the Israelites are willing to subordinate their own personal vested interest for the good of the community. Regardless of their own personal situations, the people are willing to lay aside their preferences, to lay aside their individual interests and passions, and their own sense of well-being for the good of the whole. Like us, they must have had interest groups, there must have been age groups, there must have been vocation groups, all kinds of groups like we have, which would separate them and pull them apart naturally. But for the good of the community, they were willing to meld together for the common good. The problem with many churches today, and it doesn't matter what brand name, what name we have in front of the church, 
But the problem with many churches, and I've been a part of several churches, is that we often are divided into our little silos, our little groups of personal interest. There's a group that says, I'm only for global missions. That's where the need is greatest. And there's another group that says, all I'm going to do is do hands-on ministry here. That's what I want to support. There's a group which says, we need to be about the business of finding seekers and being ready for seekers to come into our midst. And then there's another interest group that will say, no, no, no. We need to help people grow deeply and not worry about the seekers. They'll come. And then some people say, success is spelled with bricks and mortar. And then there are other interest groups that might say, no, 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 success is found in relationships. Some would say that the gospel is found in salvation and talking only about salvation. And others would say, no, it's in a social gospel where we reach out and meet the needs of people. All of these can be conflicting. A church can be a group of silos or interest groups which vie for financial and volunteer support, a bunch, of, a bunch of interest groups which compete with one another. You think that's true here? If so, what are the competing groups that you may be a part of or that you see vying for those particular resources? Listen to these words from a friend of mine, John Huffman, who's a pastor in California. He writes about this reality. What rips at the fabric of the church is when any one vested interest group defines ministry in its own terms without seeing the gospel in all of its wholeness. We have individual gifts and interests that enrich the whole community when we subordinate ourselves to the community. To their great credit, at the beginning of Joshua's tour of duty, Israel was mobilized for action, ready to subordinate their own personal interests for the good of the whole community. When we look at the book of Acts, that's what we see with the early church. There's a compelling mark of the early church. They had all things in common. They experienced a richness of community together. A second characteristic of a people who are ready to move into the future is that mobilized for action, the people were willing to be united in a common task, following God's leadership. In a truly amazing way, the group of mavericks under Moses' leadership for those many years in the wilderness come together with a sense of unity. Without unity, they would never receive the promises which God had for them in the land which they would possess, which had been given to them. One, can, one can't help but be amazed at the uncomplaining loyalty that Israel is willing to give to Joshua, this new upstart leader who had always been a gopher for Moses. The whole world laughs and sometimes is repulsed by a divided church. Who wants to be a part of a church that's arguing or fighting amongst themselves? Who wants to be a part of an organization like that? We see enough of that polarization in government and in the world around us. In contrast, the world around us admires a group of people who may be diverse, 
There may be different races. There may be different interests. There may be different ages. There may be all kinds of differences in temperament, economics, political preferences. But when we see them rooted together as a common unity, a community, it's something that can take our breath away and truly make us want that. Huffman suggests that there are two kinds of Christian communities, and he uses the illustration of birds here. See if you relate to this. He said, one kind of Christian community is made up of seagulls. When you watch them, they are loners, doing their own individual things. You're safe if you've got it together, but you're in trouble if you're wounded. You'll be left to care for yourself. Or, he says, the other kind is the Canadian geese kind, which help each other as they fly. They take turns in the lead position, cutting through the air, creating a draft, making it easier for the others to fly. And if one bird drops out injured, another stays behind to nurse it back to health. It's a unified community without superstars. Which kind of community are we? Are people drawn to ZPC because of its unity? The early church, filled with the Holy Spirit, grew rapidly because they were united, even though they were different in huge ways. Since we're talking about communities being like birds, this week a friend of mine told me a story that maybe some of you have heard in the past. It's a story told by Soren Kierkegaard. It's called the Duck Church. Many of you ever heard of the Duck Church? Well, the Duck Church is, and you've got to really put on your imaginations for this one, the Duck Church is this church filled with ducks. And every Sunday they waddle their way to church, you know, and greet each other, quack each other as they go by. And then uh, they get into their, the, the church and they sit down in their rows and and uh, the duck pastor gets up, and he quacks away about uh, all kinds of things like God is love, God is awesome, God brings forgiveness, God is one who uh, is gracious. And then he says, every week he says, and you were made to soar. You were made to fly. And they all shake their beaks together, and they're right with them all the way. When the service is finished, they even go out and and they say, great sermon, pastor. And then they all waddle home, back to their places. Dear friends, we were made to soar. I saw many of you soaring this summer, by the way, right here in this very place, in vacation Bible school. The theme was fly, and it was so exciting to see the way you were soaring. Last Sunday morning, right here in this place, I saw the youth soar on Youth Sunday as they challenged us to be in community. Oh, dear friends, we weren't made to waddle. We were made to soar. We waddle when we talk about the past and some of the differences we have had. We waddle when we argue about the style of worship and which is right and which is wrong. We waddle when we're so caught up in various denominational issues that we take our eyes off of Jesus and what he's called us to be and do in our world right now. 
We waddle when we think our particular interest group or ministry group is more important than others. We waddle when we try to protect our church from the community instead of being the salt and light being poured out into the community as Jesus commanded us to be. I believe wholeheartedly that God has given us a path to follow. And I believe that path for this season in our history as we transition into the future is Vision 2020. I believe God is saying to us, get up, get moving. It's time to seize what I have before you. It's time to soar. United it and guided by the Holy Spirit, we must be looking for all kind of creative ways to help people find community, common unity, first with Jesus and then with people all around us. I already have seen some exciting examples of this. I've seen some people soaring over these last few weeks. They're, called, they're calling themselves the second half adventures. It's a group of people who are enthusiastically looking to the future and thinking about how can we get together people who are 60-plus or in that age range and do things that will be meaningful, exciting, helping us all to grow and find community. United and guided by the Holy Spirit, we must be doing everything possible to provide meaningful opportunities for worship and study for people of all ages. Next week, as I mentioned, we're going to be doing something different. Hopefully, we will soar as we move into this new season. There are other new and exciting possibilities and opportunities for growth that are marinating. United and guided by the Holy Spirit, we must be involved in meaningful, hands-on ministry where people of all ages can to be involved. Again, there are conversations taking place that are going to offer exciting opportunities for us to be involved in meaningful ministry to people who, whom God loves deeply. We were not made to waddle. We were made to soar. In the staff, we've been talking about the fact that we believe ZPC is on the edge of moving into an exciting new day. For that to happen like Israel, when Joshua called them to get ready to cross over to the Jordan River in three days, we must be mobilized for action, willing to subordinate our own individual vested interest for the good of the whole community. We must be mobilized for action, willing to be united in a common task and a vision following God's leadership. This week I talked to a couple of dear brothers, minister friends, about this, they were asking me what I was going to be preaching about, and I, I told them. And the first one that I talked to uh, said, wow, that's, uh, and this, this guy has a PhD uh, from Princeton in Old Testament. And he said, you know, more than any other book in the Old Testament, the people in Joshua got it, and they were all in. They were committed to the task. The other one said, that Joshua is the most positive book in the Old Testament because they honestly served the Lord through all the days of Joshua and the elders that outlived him. Wouldn't it be great if that same thing could be said about us in this next season of our history? The people are all in. They get it. And they serve the Lord 
all the days of the people who are here and those who even follow after. And this promotion kickoff Sunday, as we transition into a new season, could it be that God has said of you and me, they're all in. They get it. We were made to soar. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, we're grateful, so grateful, for the privilege of worshiping you here today. I'm grateful for each person here, for each of their families. Be with them during these seasons of transition. Be with them as they seek to follow you. And I pray, God, that as a church, you might help us following Vision 2020, your leadership to move into the future with a deep sense of passion for you and willing to follow you. I pray all of these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.